Plato, the Allegory of the Cave At the beginning of Chapter 7 of his seminal work, The Republic, Plato talks of a group of people who live in a cave, enslaved with chains around their necks and feet. They have never left that cave. The dark and humid walls of that cave and the stale air inside are all they know and breathe. No, their reality exists for them. They have never seen the outside world. All that their eyes have ever witnessed are the shadows cast on the cave wall by a bonfire that burns behind their backs. They imagine that the shadows cast on the cavern wall are real objects, that they have all the weight and substance of real objects. And so they spend their lives discussing with passion and even erudition those unreal objects, which are but shadows of actual reality, as beautifully expressed in the wisdom of a great ranchera song. But one day one of them manages to leave the cave and contemplates the outside world in astonishment for the first time. The light is so intense that it momentarily blinds him, and so he stumbles until his eyes gradually adjust to brightness all around him. And he sees, for the first time, real flowers, and real birds and animals, and real trees and rivers, the colors, the shades and the contours of everything he sees, and the stars shining in the cosmos at night. This newly liberated prisoner, the enlightened man, is ecstatic as he breathes the air and the intensity of the real world that he'd never seen before and out of compassion, because true enlightenment always moves one to compassion, he decides to go back into the cave to share the good news with everyone, that there is a beautiful world, a solid, real, tangible world out there, if only they dare to look at it. It's a crime to know where there's water and not tell all those who are thirsty around you. Try to picture him on this effort. He has already been in contact with the light, so his eyes will never really adjust back to the darkness again. When he goes back into the cave, he slips and stumbles initially like a blind man, while everyone watches and wonders what good it did him to go outside if the experience apparently only ruined his sight. And when he starts to tell them what he has seen and encourages them to go out and see the light for themselves, the inhabitants of the cave mock him, insult him, threaten him, and in the end even plot to get rid of him. Just as has happened to so many prophets over the centuries. Because such is the life of those who have seen further, who have beheld the light, who have listened to a higher cosmic melody. The inhabitants of the cave are very proud of their erudition and knowledge of everything that happens in the cave, and they debate with passion and fury about all those shadows and ghosts that they believe to be real because they have never seen anything else. And now they have the chance to see more, but they decide that they do not want to see more. They better attack the prophet, the teacher, the newly liberated prisoner who tells them about a different world, 
What? A different world. <laughs> In your dreams. Because everything this liberated prisoner says discredits the world in which the cave dwellers, the cavemen and women, put all their trust and faith as cavemen and women. Notice how the Gospel of John describes the arrival of Christ in the world. In the beginning, before all creation, there was the Logos, the Word, and He was God. Nothing that exists was made without Him. In Him was life, and life was the light of mankind. His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to put it out. He came into the world, the cave. But we who are of the world, of the cave, did not recognize him. He came to us, but we who are his, did not welcome him. He became a man and lived among us, and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth, but we have not believed him. We're all cavemen and women. And this is why things are never rosy for the enlightened one, the one who saw the light and bravely left the cave. Alone. Alone. Because this is a fallen world and there is a large measure of loneliness in wisdom and also pain and anxiety, which explains why so few people are genuinely interested in attaining wisdom. The newly freed prisoner is alone because those who prefer to stay hidden in the cave never hear his or her calls to come out into the light. Many will prefer darkness to light, clinging to what they already know out of fear and resistance to change. Even if coming into the light will open up to them a world that is immeasurably better than the one they know. The enlightened one will end up crucified. How sad and cruel this is. The enlightened one will end up crucified because his voice and his presence force those who love darkness to open their eyes, their mind and soul. And opening their eyes, mind and soul is the last thing that those who love darkness want to do. That is precisely why they remain in darkness. Because they don't want the light to expose their immorality, their evil intentions. If we have nothing to hide, why would we be scared of the light? Oh, oh no, there, there is no God. God does not exist. And I am very sure of that. So why are you so scared of him existing? Are you hiding something? We've all seen it many times. The people with the ugliest pathology, the ones who most urgently need to transform themselves in this world, are the last ones who will ever want to change. Remember Gollum in Lord of the Rings? That is why, because they are in the clutches of the ugliest mental and spiritual pathology, and pathology feeds on itself. It's a vicious circle that ensures they will never change, the most powerful chains in which someone could be imprisoned. And this is someone who's already in a cave.
The cave you and I are locked in, thankfully, is not physical. It's a mental cave, a spiritual cave. Do you remember those blinkers that they put on workhorses? Whether they are strong and stoic farm horses or spindly and spirited racehorses, those blinkers that ensure that the horses only see the small space where they have to take the next step, but only in the direction that the master wants to take them, none other. This is a cruel practice that keeps them blind to any alternative, to anything that could save them, if only they could see it. Such is our personal cave. There, within our reach, just one step to the left or the right is that freedom and redemption we long for. But of course, if the rider allowed us to see it, we would run an Olympic sprint towards liberty. How cruel then to hide it from us, and by such a crude method. But this is how we all walk in life, wearing blinders that will not let us see that our freedom, our fulfillment, our escape, is only a step away in a different direction. The tyrant that pulls us away from what's best for us, from our happiness and freedom, can be our career, our job, our friends, our drives, our past, neurosis, paranoia, or our political ideology. That oppressive writer who imposes his or her views on us in terms of relationships, family, politics, ethics, sexual disorientation, social disorientation, spiritual disorientation, and makes us believe utter nonsense and repeat it as if it were our convictions because we heard it all on TV and social media, the sacred oracles of the world in the last few decades. That's what the BBC said. I saw it on a Netflix series. I, I, I read it on a Facebook meme. They posted it with a picture on Instagram. It was on the New York Times. I, I heard it from a professor who has a master's degree in absurdity and a PhD in nothingness. As my fellow Mexican and namesake, the hilarious Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias says, ah. Allegory of the cavern suggests another precious lesson for liberated prisoners. If one day you have something important to share with another person, don't do it in such a way as to make them appear ignorant or stupid. Because even if they are, and you manage to show them logically that they are wrong, their pride, their vanity will blind them to the truth. They will choose to remain in their error because it's theirs. Even now that they know that it is an error, as long as they feel, not know, as long as they feel that they are right, rather than humbly having to change by admitting the truth. There's no point in brainwashing, forcing, or ridiculing anyone into agreeing with you. I am used to being mocked like that by many of my atheist friends because of my honest faith in God. They mock me for reasons that only they know, because they never show me any evidence, because there isn't any, that it is ridiculous to believe in God. After all, Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, Pascal, Einstein, and even Nietzsche and Darwin did believe in God. Thus, without showing any evidence to support their faith, 
and their assumptions. They laugh quietly or openly at me and feel very proud and cunning for having left behind all that pre-scientific nonsense that religion teaches. They persuade themselves that they are far ahead of the game from all of us who love God, because they have already moved on and left it all behind. But in saying this, don't they sound a lot like a little sardine, some teeny weeny fish that claims proudly that it has left the sea behind? And what happens to any fish that has left the sea behind? Inevitably, it suffocates and dies. Let us admit with humility that no one has all the answers, that we are all on the path of learning, and allow the other person to tell us what he or she thinks, if they can articulate it. Then, let's examine together the possible answers, step by step, question by question, until almost without meaning to, we land together on the right beach. Our interlocutor will often be very sure and proud of his or her opinions, and will often be dismissive and arrogant as he ridicules the opposite position, which in this case is ours. But let's continue asking questions. Let's examine their assumptions and their faith and their supposed evidence, and soon we will have sown at least some doubt that hopefully will be enough to encourage them to one day come out of their cave. Remember, no one learns anything through ridicule. The best conclusions come to us in silence and solitude. The best discoveries are made in the quiet recesses of our spirit, never in the heat of public debate. Let us remember that no one chose to be born in the cave. We are in the cave because this is a fallen world, because this is the way life is, and that is not the fault or responsibility of any of us. Let us have patience and grace. Let us never condone error, but neither inflame it so that it rages like the fire. Let's be patient. Let's keep asking questions. And let's wait. No matter how loud we scream and threaten, we all long for the light. For out of the light we come, and only in the light do we flourish. We are sunflowers. We cannot help but turn towards the sun. This life is that adventure, and we all have the chance to be brave and walk out of the cave. Thank you for listening. I'm Gabriel Porras, professional voice artist. Visit me in gabrielvoice.com and at radiantwhispers.com to continue chatting. Let's meet up outside the cave. Outside the cave.